Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Nicholas Weinbing, Executive Director and Fund Manager of the JP Morgan Japanese Investment Trust. Nicholas is a country specialist for Japan equities and a member of the Japan team within the Emerging Markets and Asia Pacific equities team based in Tokyo. He joined the firm in 2006 from Bailey Gifford in Edinburgh, where he worked initially as a UK large cap analyst and latterly as a Japanese equities investment manager. Nicholas obtained a BA in history from Cambridge University. So joining us from Tokyo, a very warm welcome to you, Nicholas, and thank you for sparing us some of your time. Thanks, Richard. Great to be here. Now, in terms of the, uh, the JP Morgan Japanese Investment Trust, um, I think we probably tend to think of Japan very much as being high tech. But perhaps in talking us through the objectives uh, of the trust, you could uh, cover that one off for us. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in terms of the trust, what we're looking for is the very best companies that we can invest in in Japan. And they're often companies which are growing strongly and are very high quality with strong balance sheets, great free cash flow and so on. But I think, you know, when people think of what are the great companies in Japan, they often think about things like cars or consumer electronics, which were the great areas here 20 or 30 years ago. But the reality is that those companies have uh, major structural problems or competitive problems. And so when we think about where will be the opportunities in three, five, 10 years, they're in completely different areas. They can be global number one companies or number one companies in Japan, but they are not in those very traditional sectors. And one of the, the most obvious examples is in use of technology and software where you know, for me, at JP Morgan, it's no problem to work at home. But for many of my colleagues, uh, their husbands and wives who work for other companies here, they've not been able to work from home easily uh, during this pandemic because they simply don't have the systems in place. And there's many, many examples of that in Japan. E-commerce ratios are very low. It's a very high percentage of transactions that are, are carried out using physical cash still. So although there's an image of it being a very technologically advanced place, actually the reality is can be quite different. With that in mind, what, what's the sort of sector allocation of, of the trust? Well, quite simply, if we don't like something, we don't own it. And that goes for sectors as well. And there are certain sectors where there are very many good ideas. So we have very high exposure to things like services or information communication. So these would be things like, for example, we own the largest online advertising company. Um, we own the number one company used by doctors uh, when they want to find out about drugs online. The number one company in cashless payments. We own companies that benefit from the aging population here. Um, and those all come under these titles, things like services or information communications. And those are very big, very big weights for us uh, in the trust. Just diving down into that a, a little more, a couple of companies that you mentioned there, which presumably are among your top holdings. Could you uh, specify maybe one or two of those uh, particular stocks for us? Yeah, absolutely. So M3 is a company that we've owned for a very long time. It is a company that promotes drugs to doctors. So they look at the drugs online, the medicines online. It saves drug companies, pharmaceutical companies, a lot of money because they don't need those physical people um, to go into hospitals and speak to doctors. 
The interesting thing really though, is that they are number one in Japan. They have 90% market share here, but they're also number one in the UK. They're on a website called doctors.net.uk. Uh, they're number one in France. They're growing very rapidly in China. So it's a very big, you know, it's a very big opportunity for them all over the world. And with things moving more and more online, in fact, medical reps can't even go into hospitals at the moment. It's a very big opportunity. Another example would be in the area of automation. So Japan, although in some manufacturing areas is lagging the rest of the world, it is preeminent in robotics and automation. Our biggest holding is a company called Kients. It makes sensors which are used in factory lines. And you see more and more automation because firstly, wages are rising in China. That's the workshop of the world. Secondly, you see a strong imperative to move production now because of things like the China-US trade war, because companies want more flexible production now with the, with the pandemic. And we see more and more types of industries automating. So it used to just be really like car companies, which automated, but now it's across many, many types of industries like food, pharmaceuticals. And Kiens is a company in which makes 50% margins, uh, operating margins, very strong balance sheet, all of those things that we're looking for. It's actually been our biggest holding now for, for eight years. And if you look at cashless payments, and in Japan, 80% of transactions in stores are still carried out using cash. We own the number one online payment processor, which is called a company called GMO payment gateway and they benefit from growth to both of uh, more uh, shopping done online but also when people pay without using cash in a store so you know they are big companies they're doing well but they're not the household names that people might necessarily think of when they think of Japan. And in Japan at the moment more broadly obviously we've had the situation uh, in, in terms of the, uh, the, the Prime Minister we, we all know about the uh, impact of, of aging demographics and so on. What's the general kind of feel economically obviously in other developed countries we're, we're uh, pretty much up against it at the moment. Is are things more positive perhaps in Japan? Yeah, I think they are pretty positive here right now. Firstly, fortunately, Japan has had a rather better experience of the pandemic, despite the fact it has a lot of old people, despite the fact it has very densely populated cities. The number of people who've unfortunately died here still remains very, very low. In fact, the number of cases even now remains very low in Japan. Another big difference with Japan versus the rest of the world is the balance sheets of companies are very strong here. So 50% of companies have net cash on their balance sheets. In Europe or the US, it'd be around 20%. And that means we've seen very little in the way of dividend cuts. Uh, we haven't seen those announcements from companies like BP or Shell or the banking sector or financials where they've been forced to stop paying out dividends. And in fact, I think that Japanese companies are very well positioned and there's really a corporate governance revolution going on here. Now that corporate governance change was started by Prime Minister Abe, who you just mentioned recently resigned. And uh, we now have uh, the 99th Prime Minister in Japan, who's a, a gentleman called Suga. I think the important thing for investors to know is that we don't expect any change in terms of the underlying uh, fundamentals. We think that he will continue to push on with reforms. We think corporate governance change will, will continue to push ahead. Uh, and he's very popular and there's no opposition here. So. Although there has been that change in Japan, if anything, 
Suga is more reform-minded than Abe. He just set up a digital transformation ministry for the government to really push home some of those changes that we really need to see happening here. And one of the things in Japan that you still see incredibly is that you need to put a physical ink stamp on documents. So some people can't work from home because they have to go into the office and put a stamp on the document. And that needs to change. And he was changing it. And there are companies which, you know, like you'd have DocuSign, I think, in the UK or the US. But here, the company that does that is called Bengoshi.com, which is a very big position for us. And these are very big structural follow-ins for these companies. And both the pandemic has accelerated, but I think the politics is also going to accelerate a lot of these changes. Obviously, we, we've already mentioned the, uh, some of the challenges that global markets uh, have been facing in, in this rather extraordinary year. How, how has your trust been coping in, in this kind of current downturn? Well, we've actually been doing very well this year. There's a few reasons for that. The first thing is that we really prioritise quality companies, strong balance sheets, great free cash flow, uh, number one companies. And in the beginning of the pandemic, you wanted to be sure that the company was going to survive. But we already have all those companies in our portfolio. So we were relatively well positioned in March and April. But I think the market then started to think about, well, what, what could be the long-term consequences of this pandemic, whether it's working from home or more transactions being carried out online and so on. And because we already think about where a company is going to be in three or five or 10 years time, we were also relatively fortunate to the extent you can be in a pandemic to already have those types of companies. And I think what's happening is now that we're in a third stage, which is where some smaller companies um, where we are maybe in a bit less sure about the long term have actually received a tremendous boost in terms of customer numbers from this pandemic. And we think that's going to endure now. And so that introduces a whole new list of companies which we wouldn't have been looking at so much in the past, which now look really exciting. And one of the great features about the trust is that we can go right down the market cap spectrum. It's an unconstrained trust, whether it's in terms of stocks or sectors or market cap. And a lot of these new companies are at the lower end of the market cap range. We're able to buy them. So an example would be a company called LifeNet, which is the number one online life insurance provider here. It's disrupting the incumbents. It charges 50% of a traditional life insurance policy. And we'd historically thought people would be quite cautious about buying quite a complicated product like that online, but that's not happened at all. The customer numbers are very strong and the momentum continues. And that's why it's so, you know, in many ways exciting that we get these newer companies now, which we think really can disrupt. And, and so it's been a very, well, there's been a lot of difficulties with the pandemic from a portfolio point of view. It, it's actually been a very good time. Our performance has been, has been I think, you know, very good. So it sounds like there's obviously a, a few special opportunities presenting themselves in Japan. I think for, for a lot of people, we're quite keen to see the back of 2020 for all sorts of reasons. What's your kind of outlook from here taking us into the new year? I know that's quite short term. Right, it is quite short term. And we really do think about things on a five, 10 year view and it's very stock specific. But I do think that a lot of the trends that have started during the pandemic are going to continue. And each day that goes by, each additional day where we're at home or we're buying things online and there's more news about the virus, just cements these trends. 
So I think all of these things are going to continue. Even if people, when they start going back to work, don't play so many computer games, when they do play them, they're still going to download. That's what they started during the pandemic, and they're going to continue to do it. So although people might think, well, Nintendo's not going to see so many people playing Animal Crossing, which is the big smash hit game of the pandemic, actually, although they might play less, they are now used to downloading, and downloads are very profitable. So from a company perspective, I think the outlook is very good. And from a market perspective, I think that you know, it's good that Japan has Suga now installed as prime minister. Um, he's got popularity of around 75% popularity rating. Uh, Japan's been relatively less badly hit by a pandemic. And we've got these strong balance sheets. And I think that it will mean that people start to look, look again at Japan. And Japan is just such a, a very good market for stock picking because half of companies here don't have any sell-side analysts covering them. And the fact that I'm here and our whole team is based here in Tokyo, we can really exploit that. And this is, you know, there's only getting more opportunity as I look ahead to the next year rather than less. The outlook is very bright. Finally, Nicholas, just picking up what you were mentioning there about gaming and technology, what we have seen in, in the UK and indeed the US during the pandemic is perhaps an adoption of technology by the older generation who six months ago would not have heard of Zoom, but now are actually becoming users of it. As, in terms of the demographics, has there been any sort of similar trends in Japan? Yes, uh, that's, a, that's a very good question, Richard. I think in Japan, we often see that Japan is behind the curve relative to the rest of the world. So if you look at online transactions, online shopping, it's still about only about 8% of retail sales here. Whereas in the UK, it's well over 30% now. And the number one reason for that is that there is a relatively large number of older people here. and They are slower to adopt. But the key thing is that they do adopt. It just comes with a time lag. And it means that we can look at what happens in China, Korea, the UK, US, and look for similar things which will happen here. There's nothing special or different about Japan. And we've seen that during the pandemic that uh, older people start to adopt because you know they can't go out then buying things online is clearly something they have to do i mean i've just started a kind of there's a thing called line here which is like whatsapp in japan i've just started chatting to my father-in-law on there he's 77 years old he's been very slow to take it up but he is finally sending me messages on there and I think also, you know, what it's brought, it brought home is that many older people own businesses here, um, small and medium-sized companies. In fact, there are 600,000 small and medium-sized companies in Japan which have no successor. And the pandemic has really brought home that they need to do something with these companies. They need to try and pass them on or sell them or do something. And one of the holdings that we've had for a very long time is called Nihon M&A Center, which advises companies with no success of what to do about that problem. It does a thousand deals a year. We're talking about an opportunity of 600,000 companies. So, you know, there you again see the trend. It's a trend that must happen, but it's accelerated. So, you know, it really is very similar in some ways to what you see in the rest of the world. But in Japan, we're just starting from an earlier stage. So if anything, the growth runway is much longer. So a very, very good market to find those kind of opportunities. Well, unfortunately, that's uh, all we've got time for. Thank you very much again, again, Nicholas. Those insights have been really fascinating, particularly uh, for us in the UK here from afar. 
so thanks again to Nicholas Weinling, the fund manager of the JP Morgan Japanese Investment Trust. And thank you for listening. Do join us next time for another interactive investor podcast.